0: to the smells like middle aged spirit podcast what smells so bad it's strong but you'll get used to it now here's your host, nick stevenson yeah buddy Chris Clark. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for tuning in to the smells like middle aged spirit podcast presents off script with yours truly i am your gracious and humble host nick stevenson Uh, My partner in crime, Christopher Clark, is not here today. We just recently took a week off. And the reason we took a week off is because I was on a boat. I'm on a boat, bitch. Hell yeah. Uh, My wife and I took a long overdue and much needed vacation this past week. Uh, We went to Mexico. Went to Cozumel and Progreso, And we were on a cruise ship for five days. And we're wore out. (laughs) Definitely... I I recommend giving yourself time to take a vacation from your vacation uh, anytime you get the opportunity to to do so. But we're gamers. We got to get back to the grind starting tomorrow, as a matter of fact. And part of that grind is doing this podcast. As much as I love you guys and I love this podcast, my baby had to come first. But we're back, and we're looking very forward to carrying out the remainder of Season 1 of the Smells Like Middle-Age Spirit podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, First of all, where have you been? Welcome to the party. (laughs) If this is your first time listening, I am normally joined by my brother-in-law and my good friend, Chris Clark. The way I would describe our roles on this show, I do most of the production, the content, the editing. You could say I am the straw that stirs the Kool-Aid, but if that is the case, Christopher Clark is definitely the Kool-Aid. What he brings to this podcast is invaluable. He's just a good old boy, and he's full of energy and fire. He's just a good dude, and he's lived a life that he can offer a lot of advice to people, and he's a good listener, and I feel like he and I learn from each other every time we do this. We have a great time doing it. Coming up soon on March 8th, uh, we will be back together with episode 12 of the Smells Like Middle-Aged Spirit podcast, and we'll be joined by our good friend Laurel Bannister. Now, Laurel wants to come on and talk to us about her new journey of being a mom. Uh, She owns a small business and she wants to talk a little bit about the challenges of doing both. And I guarantee you there will be some shit talking that ensues because she can talk shit among the best of them. Then on March 15th, we're bringing on another good friend of mine, Keisha Wells of Dynamic Lyrics. Once again, she is a business owner. She's an author. She's published several books and she's a working mother. Uh, We're going to have her on to give some really good perspective and insight. She deals a lot with helping young people, specifically young women deal with some of the challenges that they face. That is sure to be a good one, so you'll want to tune into that. Then our good friends Jonathan and Stacy Hughes are going to join us for All in the Family Part 4, the extended family. Uh, I think there's a lot of us who can understand the dynamic of having friends who become family. Jonathan and Stacy are definitely that to us. I'm positive that they are going to come to defend Florida's honor because we went in a little hard on Florida a few episodes back. Uh, that is where they are from. But that's going to be a very interesting show. They're both really funny. Uh, They both are just great people, and we're looking forward to having them on. Then I don't have a date, but our good friend Desiree Thibodeau, who is a health and fitness trainer, she's going to join us and hopefully whip our asses into some shape. uh, Well, speaking for myself, Chris is actually doing a very good job. I've kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit, but she's going to come in and talk to us about what she does. She's got a really cool story. We're looking forward to that. So we're on our way. We're making our way through this first season, and we hope you guys will continue to join us, continue to support us. Thank you to everyone who's following us on social media. Uh, Some of you who are not following us on social media, but still avid listeners of the show. Thank you so much again for the support, and we hope you'll continue to listen and we can keep entertaining you. So if you've listened to the previous off script and you thought to yourself, man, Nick really doesn't sound as funny as he normally is. Well, that's because I don't have Chris here to laugh at all of my punchlines. Whoever your favorite comedian is, if you hang out with Chris, he's going to make you feel like you're just as funny. I seriously considered, after every punchline, just playing this soundtrack. (laughs) So it sounds like Chris is here laughing at my jokes. I've determined that if I ever do stand-up comedy, Chris Clark is going to be sitting up in the first row. And that's because anytime I tell a joke, whether I'm killing it or not, this is what it's going to sound like. hey (laughs) There's Chris in the front. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) So, whenever I do these off-scripts, which this is the second one I've done, I really want to take the opportunity to tell my story, help the audience get to know me a little bit better, and show some transparency. And so, as I was thinking about what topic I should talk about, first of all, I was in the midst of Planning this amazing vacation we just took. And I think I've talked to you guys about how wonderful my life has been going over the last several years. I have a wonderful family, beautiful wife, three awesome kids. Uh, we're slowly but surely building our way up to our ultimate goals. It's really hard to imagine what my life was like before all of us were together in this house. It almost seems like 12 lifetimes ago. And it's really difficult. To even remember it at times until I stop and really think about, okay, how did I get here? Where did I come from? As we branch out on social media and we try to connect with people, you see certain things. A couple of things stood out to me as I was scrolling through the old book of faces one day. I saw a lot of people struggling, specifically single mothers, single fathers, struggling with their self-worth. At least that's what it appeared. And it made me think about the importance of self-care and mental well-being. And I thought, you know, I have a story that really has several lessons in it, one of them being the importance of mental well-being, self-care. So in the previous episode, we did a Love and Good Vibes where Chris and I talked about how we met our current wives and how we got them to fall in love with us and some of the trial and error that we had before our wives came along. Chris is one of the lucky ones. We talked about it. He married his high school sweetheart. They're still married today. They're working on 10 years. They have a great story. Even though they had some ups and downs, kept at it. They worked hard and they've built a beautiful family. My experience was that I also married my quote unquote high school sweetheart. But that was more of a learning experience. And I wanted to touch on some of the difficulties I faced in my previous marriage. The three lessons that come From those difficulties, the first lesson being mistakes that I made in that relationship, the second being the importance of self-care and mental well-being, and then also the importance of forgiveness and moving forward. In doing that, the first thing I'll say is that in my first marriage, there were three things that I can point out that were the causes of the difficulties in that relationship. Number one, we got married very young. I met my daughter's mother when I was 16 years old, and she was 14. We were both part of a religious group that was very strict on young people and dating. And so the majority of the time we dated, that all took place really in secret. It was something that was known that we liked one another. But anytime we spent time together, talked to one another, tried to develop this relationship, it was always in secret. Anytime we hung out with one another as kids... We really weren't supposed to be doing so. What that resulted in was kind of a lack of genuineness in our dating process because we never really had the time to actually get to know one another. The negative effects of us being so young were, number one, we had a lack of maturity and accountability since by the time we were actually allowed to date at this point, I think I'm 18, she might be 17 years old. Uh, We didn't really have time to get to know one another. And at that age, we really failed to realize that as we continued to get older, both of us would change. And then another negative effect of being married so young is we did not have the environment that was conducive to success. We really put unrealistic expectations on what could come about of a marriage that started the way it did. So let me break that down a little bit, a little bit more. Like I said, we were not really allowed to date as young kids. I think what that really started to develop was this unhealthy, almost obsession with one another. You know, it was like the forbidden fruit. Anytime you're kept from having something that you want, it makes you want it more. For several years, like I said, we were in this situation where we weren't allowed to be together. It was almost like this Romeo and Juliet thing, like nobody wanted us to be together, but we were going to fight through it and make it anyway. And so by the time we were actually allowed to be together, there was just this pent up lust and frustration. Now that we were allowed to be together, one of the rules of people who live the lifestyle that we grew up in is dating was meant to lead to marriage. And so I felt a lot of pressure to get married as soon as possible. One of the rules of the religion that we were a part of is, let's face it, I'm a young man, she's a young woman, we have desires in this lifestyle You don't have sex with someone until you're married. Now, I'm not going to say the reason we got married was so that we could have a sexual relationship. But I'd be lying if I said that that was not a driving force. That is not a good reason to get married to someone. Because once you get married and finally you're allowed to have sex with one another. Well, there's a lot of other shit that comes along with being married. And when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. You have no plan. We just went to the JP and got married one day. Uh, We ended up living with her family for about six months after that. That is not an environment conducive to success. At that time, I'm working two jobs to try to keep us afloat. She's just finished school and is trying to establish herself in her professional field. There was a lot of struggles. There's struggles in every relationship. There's struggles in every marriage. But at age 18, 19, 20 years old, you are really not equipped to deal with those things. I can say honestly that I was an immature husband, and I made a lot of immature decisions in my marriage. To keep a very long story short, I will let you guys know where the beginning of the end started. I'm 20 years old, and my wife at the time was 18 when we got married. And once our physical relationship was established, we became faced with the reality That life goes on after that. And marriage comes with a lot of challenges. Since we didn't really have a traditional dating process where you really got to know someone. We didn't live together first. We didn't even really date very long once we were allowed to. We just knew that this was something that we'd wanted for a long time. We were going to make it happen. Well, you start living with a person and doing life with a person and you begin to realize that you may not see eye to eye on several important things. You're lacking maturity in a lot of adult situations. Difficulties arose in our marriage, and communication is really important when going through those difficulties. And I found it difficult to communicate with my wife at the time. And when it got to be what I felt was too difficult, rather than show the maturity and the fortitude to try to work through that, And find a solution, I thought, you know what? Maybe I can find somebody else to talk to about this. Maybe they can help me figure out a way to get through to her and discuss some of the grievances I may have in this relationship. And I made the very poor decision to begin talking to another female about this. It all started off very innocent. This person that I was talking to would listen, give good advice. Even though that advice they would give, I would try to apply it. Sometimes it worked. Most of the time it didn't. I continued to have difficulties really finding a common ground uh, with my wife at the time. As suspected in a relationship like that, very rarely are you going to find a solution in talking about your problems in your marriage to someone else. Add the fact that you're a man talking to another woman about very deep and personal things It's not a very good recipe for success. It did not take long before I began to recognize that my dependency on talking to this person anytime I had a problem in my marriage was slowly growing into something that was unhealthy and inappropriate. I made two mistakes. Number one, I told this person, hey, I'm starting to feel things about you that I shouldn't feel about you because I'm married. That was a mistake because... I did not get the response that I had expected. Like, oh my God, no, that's terrible. You're married. I got the response of, oh, really? I'm starting to feel some of these things as well. Very bad. You're young. You're immature. You've already handled this situation poorly by bringing these feelings to the attention of this other person. And if you're honest with yourself, you probably did that because you were a little bit curious if that person was feeling the same way completely inappropriate situation for you to be in. The second mistake I made, and I want to be very careful because I am not in any way advocating that you not be honest with your husband or wife, but I thought to myself, I need to be upfront and honest and tell my wife about this. Not because I'm wanting to let her know, hey, I don't want to be with you anymore. I want to be with this other person. I wanted to be in a relationship with my wife. I felt bad about what had happened and I thought the best thing for me to do is be honest about it because maybe there was a problem there that she didn't recognize was there and this would shock both of our systems and make us realize, oh my goodness, we have to work harder on making our relationship stronger. Well, if you put yourself in her shoes and your husband comes to you and tells you that he's starting to have feelings for another woman, add to the fact that this particular young lady was very close to my wife at the time. As you can imagine, she felt extremely hurt and betrayed as she rightfully should have. Once again, lack of maturity on my part, my thought process is, I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you about this so that we can fix it. So I know you're upset and you're hurt, but you should look past that and realize, hey, we have a real problem here and we need to fix it. Almost trying to absolve myself of any responsibility and make it a us problem. We're here because of something that we both did wrong. Let's fix it together. Well, I think probably 95% of the women that I'm talking to right now would 100% disagree with that assessment, (laughs) rightfully so. Once again, this is an immature between the ages of 20, 22-year-old. Add on top of that, that we have a child together now who's only about six months old, and this is a really bad situation. I still don't dispute that being honest about the situation was not the right thing to do, but I will tell you that it did not help. It only made things worse in my immaturity and in my stupidity, because now I found it even more difficult to communicate with my wife. I use that as a justification to continue having that relationship with this other person. Once again, this relationship never got physical, not so much as a hug. Um, Infidelity has many different looks. And my justification and my argument at the time was, well, I'm not cheating on you, that having an emotional attachment and emotional dependency on someone other than your wife. There's many people who believe and feel like that's worse than actually physically cheating on them. You can agree or disagree, but I'm not going to be the person who discredits how you feel about it. At least I'm not going to do that today at the time, 22 years old, not wanting to be the asshole trying to justify everything I'm doing, in my mind, I'm like, well, I didn't actually cheat on you, and I was honest about this, and I really felt like, I don't want to say that it was an overreaction, I just tried to justify to this person how they should feel about what I had done to them. That's immaturity. That's a lack of accountability. That's that's just really stupidity, <laughs> if I can call it anything. And that really was the beginning of the end. Once we started having problems even more so with communication, and she became aware of the fact that I was still continuing to have this relationship, verbal and nothing else, that just made things even worse, which is completely understandable. So this time, she packs up and she leaves. She takes my baby girl with her, and she goes and stays with her sister for a little while. According to her, this thing is over. It's done. And now I have to stop And look at myself in the mirror. And say holy shit like what the fuck is wrong with you? What did you just do? When you got some time to sit there by yourself and think about it. All the reason and logic that you were trying to create in your mind. It becomes really clear that you were just being stupid. I realized very quickly holy shit I fucked up. I gotta work my ass off to fix this. And it's gonna take some time. But I did exactly what I set out to do. Uh, The first thing I had to do. It's face facts that I was wrong for what I did. And I had to completely come to the realization that the relationship that I thought I had with this person who was my confidant was all smoke and mirrors. I was trying to find something that was lacking in myself and in the marriage that I was in. And I was trying to force some other person like a puzzle piece that didn't fit. And it was stupid. I knew I didn't love this other person. I knew that the feelings that I thought I had for this other person we're not real. I had fought so hard to get to the point as a child together. We were supposed to build a family. Done all that work for what? To blow it up over something stupid. So I worked my ass off to try to put our family back together. And she moved back in for a little while, but the damage was done at that point. And it didn't take very long before it deteriorated to the point that we weren't together anymore. At that time, it was my turn to leave. As much as I didn't want to, I had to go. This is the part of the lesson where there's a transition from it being about mistakes in a young marriage to the importance of mental health and well-being. Because in my story, they're both linked together. Because at a young age, I placed so much of my self-worth, so much of my value in the relationship that I was in, and I viewed this person with an obsession that I had to be with them, that there was no life without them. I fuck it up, I lose them, so now I'm beating myself up for ruining the only thing in my mind that was worth living for. When you're young and you're in a relationship, the biggest mistake you can make is feeling like you have ownership of another person. That person is your girlfriend, that person is your wife, that person is your partner, but you do not own them. They are a person with feelings and thoughts and decision-making abilities, and you have no control over any of those as much as you may want it you have no control over them at least you shouldn't if you're trying to gain control over a person's thoughts and feelings and actions there's a problem with you this unhealthy obsession and dependence on the relationship that i was in led to a lack of self-worth when i was without this person without this person i didn't want to live i couldn't possibly go on Never mind the fact that I have a daughter that I still need to be a father to. That thought momentarily is completely out of my mind because I've lost the only thing that I feel like makes life worth living. And I can't, for the life of me, understand why this person doesn't feel the same way. Because at one time they did. At one time we both had this obsession. At one time we both loved each other, quote, more than life itself. Which is a term that people use often. I love you more than life itself. You really shouldn't love anyone more than life itself. The reason being is the potential is there for you to lose anyone for any reason, whether it be an unforeseen circumstance that causes them to lose their life or a mistake that you made that makes your relationship unable to function any longer. You can't love someone more than you love life because there's a chance you could lose anyone. And this is a lesson that I learned in this moment because of my immaturity because of my poor decision making i now found myself without the one thing in this world that i thought i couldn't live without keep in mind i'm a father i have a child but in my mind they don't exclusively exist they are one in the same i can't be a father to my daughter if we can't have this family if i can't be with her mother that was my way of thinking at the time once I realized that my relationship was 100% over, it's really hard to think about right now that I ever felt that way, but I began to lose the will to live all because of a relationship that had ended because I didn't have any self-worth without that relationship, whether or not it was my fault that it ended. So I'm living in an apartment where I have nothing. There is a mattress and a television in the middle of the bedroom floor. I have no furniture, I barely had enough money to put the lights and water, and I'm just there, just existing. I try to spend as little amount of time there as possible. I'm just driving around some days so that I don't have to go to that lonely piece of shit apartment. My daughter would come and see me. At this point, she's still a baby. She's six, eight months old. I had a couple of toys in there for her to play with. Maybe a Barbie DVD. For her to watch and i'm not even doing a good job of pretending that nothing's wrong i would break down and then have to quickly try to cheer her up it was i was a mess i was a complete mess and i felt like i didn't want to be alive even though i had this beautiful child who loved me to death to take care of at that moment i did not want to be alive all i could think about is how was i going to leave this earth and somehow i had justified to myself that my daughter was better off without me this sounds insane right now. But I think there's a lesson here for people who maybe have a hard time understanding people who have problems with depression and problems with, I'll call it, it was a mental illness. I was mentally ill at the time. Now there's different reasons for people to have depression. Sometimes there's no one event that causes it. I mean, it's a chemical imbalance in your brain. I think I had a combination of a chemical imbalance and some pretty traumatic in my mind things that were going on and i didn't want to be here i remember at one point being in this apartment by myself and the man who was my brother-in-law at the time i think he was on to the fact that i wasn't doing well he just shows up to this apartment and he asked if he can use the restroom and i let him come in reluctantly i was in bad shape and for some reason he wants to come in my bedroom and i'm trying to keep him out of there because hanging in the closet is an Ethernet cord that I had attempted to hang myself with at one point. Okay, let me take that back. I don't know that I actually attempted to hang myself with this thing. I hung it up where the hangers normally would hang, and I wrapped it around my neck, and I tried to pull on it and fall on it as hard as I could. If I'm honest with myself, I don't know, man. I don't. I really don't know what I was thinking at the time. I can't. I can't rationally explain that at all, but he saw that. And I think that was the thing that triggered, okay, like we need to find somebody who's going to help Nick at this point. Everyone's pretty much aware that yes, we're in laws now, but that's not going to be the case for very much longer. And I think that's when somebody decided like, we need to reach out to Nick's mother. So it's Thanksgiving of 2006, I believe. My daughter's mother decides they're going to go out of town and visit some family. They're going to go to Alabama and visit family for Thanksgiving. So I'm going to be completely alone for Thanksgiving because most of my family doesn't even celebrate Thanksgiving. The only people I would have celebrated Thanksgiving with are my daughter and her mother, and they're gone. We're not going to be having Thanksgiving together. Um, At this point, my daughter's mother is clearly in her Another relationship with someone else, which is also eating away at me because it's something I don't have control over. And it's this obsession that I have that I don't want this person to be with anyone else. They're supposed to be with me. So that's driving me insane. My daughter's mother asks me, Hey, we're going up to Alabama to see family. Can you drop us off at the airport and then go back to the apartment? I need you to make sure the dog's taken care of while we're gone. I say, Okay. I take them to the airport. I drive back to the apartment that we once all lived in. I feed the dog. Make sure he's got water. And then I just sit against the wall and think about, God, this sounds really insane. How am I going to end my life? How am I going to do it? I want to make sure my daughter doesn't see me. I want to make sure that she knows that I love her, but I just can't do this anymore. These, these things are actually going through my mind. A few minutes go by and there's a knock at the door. And of all people, it is my... At the time, mother-in-law. I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing here? She tells me that she's concerned. She's worried. Uh, My daughter's mother has expressed to her some concern over my well-being. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm good. Y'all just leave me alone. I'll be fine. I really don't feel that on the inside. There's days that I feel fine. There's days that I'm like, oh, no, Nick, you got to keep pushing. And then an hour or two later, I'm thinking I don't want to live anymore. Over a failed relationship. It's crazy. I'm unsuccessfully able to get my. Mother-in-law at the time. To leave me alone. And then another knock at the door. And it's my mother. When my mother walked in. Now shit really hits home. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I'm a shell of the person that I know that I should be. Here's the woman who raised me. Who believed in me. Knew all of my potential. Looking upon me. In my worst moment. And she sits down next to me and she says, Nick, I think you need to get some help. And I say, mom, I'm fine. I'm good. And she's like, baby, I know you. Look at me. You're not fine. And of course, I break down crying. And she tells me what's wrong. And I tell her I messed up and I just can't live with it. Like, I just don't feel right. Something's wrong. I shouldn't feel like dying is a better option than being alive and taking care of my daughter. I'm just in a bad spot. And she says, you need to get some help. And I say, no, I don't need to get help. I just, I'll figure it out. She says, no, you need to get some help. She said two things to me that'll always stick out to me. She said that thought of you choosing death over life as a better option. She said, that's the devil. The devil wants you to believe that. She says, but the son of God gave up his life so that you could have an opportunity to live. The son of God told you, life is always the better option. So much that he gave his own life so that you might be able to live. So for you to say that death is the better option than life is a complete slap in the face to God himself who watched his son suffer and die so that you might live. At the time, that hit home really hard for me. It really did. The second thing she said to me is she said, how can you expect this woman to love you when you don't even love yourself? You've completely forgotten about all the reasons that you should love yourself. How are you going to remind her and show her all of the reasons that she should love you when you can't do it yourself. I didn't realize the impact of those words at the time, but those words did hit home. And I'll get to the point where I tell you where that actually sunk in for me. To try to shorten up this story, my mom convinces me, let's go talk to a doctor. He'll get you on some medication to balance you out. And I'm thinking pills, sweet. I can do that. Let's go. So we go to Harris County Psychiatric Center and I'm like, hey man, I'm not doing good. I need some pills. I got to go to work in the morning so you can write that script real quick. And my mother and my mother-in-law are both sitting there with me and they're talking to the doctor and they're telling him about the things they've seen, that they've observed. I'm trying to make it seem like everything's cool, but they see right through it. He looks at both my mother and my mother-in-law at the time and says, does he need to stay here? They say yes. I give them the death stare like you have never, ever seen. Why are y'all telling this man I need to stay here? I am fine. So the doctor looks at me and says, all right, Nick, this is what we can do. You can sign this piece of paper that says you're going to stay here for a few days. Or that big motherfucker over there is going to strap you down and drag your ass in there. Basically, in so many words. And I'm like, okay, I'll stay here for a day or two. What's the worst that can happen? Get a couple of square meals sleep in a nice cozy bed that's what I'm thinking so I volunteer myself into this mental health facility I am completely convinced that I don't need to be at and I am completely above everyone else who is there everyone who's there is just a bunch of weak-minded drug addicts or actual crazy people I don't need to be at this place so I get checked in I'm given a room In this ward, the way it works, is basically like a big common area where there's a television and a couch. And then on one side of the ward, you have where the men stay. On the other side, you have where the women stay. And in this place are some people with some legit issues. I would say 80 to 90% of them are addicted to some type of narcotic. Uh, There's some people in there who have experienced some severe trauma. There was a gentleman there who had witnessed his brother be murdered and would relive that moment in his own mind about every 10 seconds. And it was not pretty. I mean, he would go into convulsions and he would be screaming and crying. It was bad. Uh, There was a gentleman there who was convinced that he was pregnant with Jesus. And a couple of other interesting cases just like that. So me, I'm looking at these people and I'm like, y'all have problems. I don't need to be here. And I'm looking down on all of them. Like In my mind, I'm better than all these people. I'm just going to be here for a couple of days, take a few pills, do whatever I got to do, and I'm going to be out. So for the first three days, I don't even come out of my room. They have all of these programs where you do group therapy and you talk about your issues and you get it all out there. I'm not participating in this shit whatsoever. I don't come out of the room. I'm not allowed to shave my face or anything of the such, but I can take a shower. I'm allowed to comb my hair. I'm allowed to come out of this out of my room and participate, but I don't do it. I stay in this room and I'm just like I'm just going to hang out here until they tell me I can go home. 3 days go by and they tell us that the doctor's going to come check on us to see our progress and see who wants to go home. Boy, am I ready. I go run some water through my hair so I don't look like a fucking hot mess. I go run some water through my hair, you know, scrape my teeth with a paper towel or some shit like that. And uh, I get myself presentable so I can talk to the doctor and the doctor comes in and she wants to know. So how you doing? And I'm like, you know what? These past two days have been amazing. I've really thought hard about my life and my circumstances and just being here has made me a better person. And I'm ready to go out and face my problems and face the world and be the man I'm supposed to be. And I'm just talking a mad game, right? Like I am spitting game at her like you wouldn't believe. She's just writing notes in her clipboard. And she goes, um, Betty tells me you haven't showered in three days. Oh, so you talk to Betty, huh? She's like, yeah. She's like, let me tell you something, Mr. Stevenson. If you want to get out of here, you're going to have to participate with the program. You're going to have to show us that you're ready to carry on because if we just let you back out there in the state that you came in and something happens to you, now that's on us. And we're not going to let that happen. So my advice to you is get with the program. So I'm like, okay, if I want to get out of here, all these people that I thought I was better than, you know what? I'm just going to have to play along. Long story short, I'm in that bitch for almost a month because it takes that long for me to stop viewing myself as better than these people. The line between where they were in their life and where I was in my life was paper thin. These are people who just like me, it's cliche, but they put their pants on one leg at a time. And these were people who had been through real life problems and had way more issues than I had ever faced in my life. It started out with me just talking to a few people, asking them, hey, why are you here? And every time I had that conversation, I felt really stupid. I had people there who had witnessed people being murdered, people who were raped as children, people who were forced into prostitution, and people who were addicted to drugs. And here I am like, "Uh, oh, my wife left me. That's all? You're here because your wife left you? And almost got to the point where they were kind of looking down on me. And then I kind of realized the ridiculousness of my situation. I was sitting in a therapy session where the doctor or the therapist who I was speaking to started talking about control. She said, one of the biggest mistakes we make in life is that we stress over things we have no control over. And she looked at me and she said, Mr. Stevenson, why are you here? I'm here because I'm about to get a divorce from the only person I've ever loved in my entire life. And I don't know what to do about it. She looked at me and she says, what do you mean you don't know what to do about it? Can you do anything about it? And I said, well, yeah, I can get her back. She said, how? I said, by convincing her that I'm sorry and that I'm going to change and that I'm going to be a better person and that she should be with me. The doctor says, well, that's her decision, isn't it? I said well yeah she says so why are you trying to have control over the decision that she makes and I didn't really have an answer for that and I said well because I love her and she said, well does she love you I said uh I think so I don't know she said do you even care if this person loves you and that's when I was like man I sound really ridiculous right now because I didn't care If this woman loved me anymore, all I knew was that I loved her and I wanted to be with her and I wasn't going to be able to live in a world where I was not with her. This doctor was explaining to me that I had zero control over the actions and decisions that my wife soon to be ex-wife was making. So why am I stressing about them? The only thing I can control is what I do. Now, I can use my time and energy and resources to try to repair that relationship, but I needed to wrap my mind around the fact that that might not work. I might put all that energy in and all that effort, and this thing could just be over. If that's the case, where does that leave me? What you have control over is being a good father. You have control over being a good person, over learning from the mistakes that you made, over making sure that you don't make those same mistakes again. Those are the things you have control over. I had zero control over whether my soon-to-be ex-wife was ever going to want to be with me again. So why am I stressing about it? It is only going to drive me more and more insane. That was the most important lesson that I learned there. You control what you control. If you focus on what you do have control over, being a good person, being a good father learning from your mistakes, bettering yourself, getting yourself out of the gutter, working yourself into the person that you know you're supposed to be, there's a chance that that might actually help you win your wife back or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever person in your life that you've lost. But there's a chance that it might not. You don't have control over that. But what I had to recognize is that my responsibility was not to this woman who had made it clear we were not going to be together anymore. It wasn't my job to save her from making the decisions that I thought were mistakes. At that point, my job was to be a father. I was ashamed at the fact that for a moment I'd forgotten that if you put on top of that, the entire month that I was in the hospital, I did not get to see my daughter one time. She was not allowed in the facility that I was in. I was able to talk to her on the phone And that was very difficult. Going through that made me realize how much I loved my daughter, how much I needed her, and how much she needed me. And I gained a determination that I was going to be there for her no matter what. I got on board with the fact that what I had control over was being a good person and being a good father. After that, come what may. If I was successful at doing that, then life was worth living. Being a good example to my daughter, being there for my daughter, Helping her gain the self-confidence, the self-worth that I had been lacking. Making sure that my daughter never felt the way that I felt at that time. That life wasn't worth living. That was my determination from that point on. From that point on, I wasn't living for anyone but myself and my daughter. Once I decided, okay, this relationship is not going to be and I'm not going to try to force it to be. I'm just going to live my life and I'm going to be the best dad I can possibly be. Well, that took some growth also because once I was in a situation where now I am limited to the amount of time I can spend with my daughter to the first, third, and fifth weekend of every month, it took some real growing and maturity on my part to make sure no matter what, I was taking advantage of that time. Now, me and my daughter have been best friends since she was a baby. And any time that she was with me, I was cultivating and nourishing that relationship. But I worked a lot. My daughter lived almost an hour and a half away, depending on traffic. I lived in a town called Texas City. She lived up in Cyprus at the time. And I was working a lot. And I didn't really establish with my employer like, hey, this time that I'm supposed to get my daughter, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to see my daughter. I'm going to pick her up or I'm going to drop her off when I'm supposed to. I'm going to take advantage of every single opportunity I have to be with her. Sometimes I would allow work to get in the way. Oftentimes when I would pick her up for the weekends, I'd be working on the weekends. So we'd spend even less time together. I did try to take advantage of every moment that we were together to make the best of it. But I needed to do better. And my daughter's mother had no qualms about telling me that I needed to do better. And at the time I thought she was just being salty. and You know, I, I wasn't listening. I think the turning point for me was when my daughter moved to Alabama briefly, I had actually agreed to allow her to go with her mother and live out of state for what was supposed to be a couple of months. It ended up being a little bit longer. My daughter being nine hours away was a real eye-opener for me because I couldn't just drive an hour down the road and go see her when I was supposed to. I had to make plans weeks in advance, rent a car, drive up there for nine hours, drive back nine hours, and I would go months at a time without seeing her. And it made me have an appreciation for the fact that when she was here, my stance should have been work or no work. I'm going to see my daughter when I'm supposed to. That was a part of the growth and the maturity that came with fatherhood. And when my daughter finally moved back, there was nothing in the world that was going to keep me from spending every second that I was supposed to with her. So slowly but surely, I'm getting being a good father in check. I'm teaching myself about responsibilities, priorities, accountability. I feel at this point, I'm doing a really good job. The next stage in my growth is discovering that my decisions affect more than just me. Most importantly, the effect that they have on my daughter. And I mean this in regards to my relationships with the opposite sex and the continued often on toxicity of her mother and I. There was a part of me that still wanted my original family to be together. And I never really gave up hope on that. I talked about in the last episode that we did, toxic relationships have casualties that extend far beyond just the two people in that relationship. In my experience, I've discovered that toxic relationships have three victims. Number one is your children. If you are in a toxic relationship with someone and you have children, they witness this, especially when you're coming in and out of that relationship. You dangle the happiness of you guys being together in their face just to break their hearts when you guys break up again and it sets a really bad example for them about how relationships are supposed to work that may end up becoming the way that they view their relationships and how their relationships end up coming into fruition the second group of casualties is your friends and family they all get caught in the middle you guys are together one minute you're not together another they don't know what to do how to keep up Your family may become really close to the person you're in a relationship with, and then you break up and you set a hard line that your family can't like that person anymore. The toxicity spreads into many other relationships. And then you have the people that you hurt along the way trying to replace one another. I did a lot of that going back and forth and trying to force relationships to replace the one that I had lost. What I discovered, staying together with someone that you're in a toxic relationship with, it's really about selfishness. What are some of the reasons people stay in bad relationships? Number one, well, I love them. That's really a selfish reason to stay with somebody that you don't get along with. Someone that your relationship is hurting you, it's hurting them, it's hurting the people around you. Oh, but I love them. Once again, that stems back to that unhealthy obsession, that dependence on the relationship, that feeling of ownership. Another reason people stay in bad relationships. Oh, well, we've been together for so long. I've put in all this time, all this effort for so many years. I don't want to have to start over again. I'm going to stick it out. Once again, it's a really self-serving reason to stay in a bad relationship that's not only hurting you, not only hurting the other person, but hurting the people around you. Because you love someone and because you spent a long time with them does not mean that you need to be with them. I am positive that there was a time in my life that I loved the mother of my daughter. I know inequivocally today, as I sit here talking to you now, I know for a fact That her and I do not belong together and should not be together. But I had to come to that conclusion after many times of trial and error. I'm not judging anybody who stays in bad relationships. I hope anyone who's in that situation and can't find a way out of it or is having a difficult time walking away from it can listen to what I'm saying and maybe have a moment where they're honest with themselves. You have to let go of the idea that you should be with someone just because you love them. And love is something that has to be reciprocated. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. You can say you love someone all day long, but if you guys are not showing one another that you love one another, you're not treating one another as if you love one another, then really you're just spinning your wheels and wasting time. And there's people getting hurt in the process. So the next reason that a lot of people will stay in a toxic relationship is, well, we have kids together. We're going to do it for the kids. Now, on the surface, this seems like a very noble and selfless reason to stay in a relationship. But when you come to the realization that this toxicity is affecting your children in a negative way, and that really you saying it's about the kids is once again a cover for a really selfish motivation. You want to give your kids a life that you feel like they deserve. And so if you don't stay in this relationship and make this family work, then somehow you're going to feel like a failure, like you have failed your children. When in reality, you're failing your children by not putting them in an environment where you're happy and you're the best version of yourself so that you can be the best parent you can possibly be. After being divorced in 2009, around 2013, my daughter's mother and I, got back together again and it was a bad idea i know from experience that being in a toxic relationship and trying to force a toxic relationship to work affects your ability to be the best parent you can be i'm guilty of it i became so focused on trying to make my relationship work that i was neglecting my own daughter the priority became her mother and not her Because in my mind, I was convincing myself that if I made her mother a priority and that relationship worked, that's how I was going to build a happy life for her. When I break it down, that was really a selfish motivation for doing so. Because all I was doing was hurting my daughter in the process. Once again, not only was she witnessing the toxicity of our relationship every day, but we'd also dangled that happiness of us being a family in her face only to rip it away from her. A few short months later, this idea that you need to be with someone for the kids, make it work for the kids. At the end of the day, I know from experience that you're just hurting them more than anything. Once I let go and reshifted my focus back towards being the best father I could possibly be. That is when the relationship with me and my daughter took its most giant leap. Number one, I was older more experienced and prepared to deal with the fact that my relationship with her mother wasn't going to work all that depression and feeling of worthlessness and not being able to live without this person. I would already been through that. I had already decided, you know what I can only control what I can control. And I had found the ability to love myself despite my mistakes of the past, despite my flaws I did not allow my self-worth to be determined by whether the mother of my child was going to love me or not. I knew that I had given it everything I had. There was no amount of energy or effort that was going to make that relationship work anymore. I was at peace with myself and ready to move on back to being the best father I could possibly be. It didn't take long after a brief stint of deciding I was never going to be in a relationship again. I was going to have girlfriends, but not relationships. It didn't take long for me to realize that that's not truly what I wanted for myself. And that's not really what I wanted for my daughter. It was my job to set an example for her on how a man is supposed to treat a woman. And running around in the streets, being with different women, thinking that you could do so without anyone getting emotionally involved. You know, people like to say that and talk that game. And maybe there are some people who are built that way. I knew I was not one of them. And I don't think any of the young women that I was in these types of relationships with, if they were honest with themselves, they weren't really built for that either. So how was I going to use my past experiences, my past failures to learn from them? And how was I going to use them as a springboard towards being in a functional relationship? The first part of that was taking some accountability. When you're taking accountability, you have to admit your faults. I had a lot of faults in my previous relationships. Uh, I had to admit that poor decision-making based on selfishness was part of the reason that my past relationship did not work out. Then I had to make the results of not making those same mistakes over and over. And then lastly, I had to realize that there's more than just myself that was counting on me to get this right i had a child who was also counting on me to get it right once you've been in a really bad relationship it's very difficult to put yourself in a position to cultivate a non-toxic relationship after you've taken accountability the next thing you have to do is not allow those bad experiences to make you a bitter cynic not all women or men Or bad or evil or liars, just because that may have been what you experienced in the past. And you have to recognize that putting out that negative energy is actually going to attract the type of people that you're trying to avoid or that you're showing grievance over. (laughs) First thing you have to do is let go of that toxicity within yourself. Stop being such a cynic. Don't feel like every person in the world is a liar or a cheater or the devil. Because that's the experience you had with the person before you. If you carry that with you, it's going to stay with you. You have to exercise that demon. You got to let it go. And it's a risk. You have to take the risk that in order to find true love, you're going to have to let your guard down just a little bit. Just be smart about it. Don't ignore the red flags that you probably ignored in the past. But at the same time, there's a certain level of trust that you're going to have to give the next person that you were not willing to give the previous person because that previous person lost your trust. Well, now you're in a fresh situation. You can't lump all of your ex's mountain of mistakes onto your current partner or the current person that you're dating. You just can't do it because nobody's perfect. That person's going to make a mistake and at the drop of the hat, you can't just bail because somebody messed up. And it's difficult because that is your first instinct. I get it, but there's a level of trust that you're going to have to give that person. Now, obviously that depends on what this person's first fuck up is. If they come out of the gate lying to you or you know, not being honest about their past or whatever, that's that's one of those red flags you don't ignore, right? But the first time you see him like some chick's picture on Instagram or something like that, like you can you can't you can't drag that past baggage with you cuz you could mess up a good thing. Not every person does things for the same reason. This came to fruition in my current relationship. You know, I talked about in the last episode how once Whitney and I decided, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do it for the last time. So we need to learn from the mistakes we made in the past. What's the number one mistake both of us have made in the past? And I think we both agreed it was not only... Demanding 100% honesty from our partner, but also giving 100% honesty. So we had to lay it all out there. One of the things that almost every woman that I've been in a relationship has had a hard time dealing with or grasping is that from the time I was a young child, the majority of my best friends have been female. And I'm talking 100% platonic, never been anything but a friend. I've had several of them. In fact, around the time that I met my wife, one of my very best friends was a woman, a woman who I had never been anything but friends with. Um, That particular friendship ended up kind of falling apart for other reasons. But I have other friends that are female who I've been friends with for a very long time. And that's a situation that she didn't trust because of her past experience with her ex and because of her own experience. She had determined because of her own experience that a man and a woman cannot be platonic friends because she had never had a platonic friend that was male for the most part. And so she didn't trust that situation with her ex. Therefore, she didn't trust it with me. And I had to explain to her, I am not your ex. My past experience is not the same as your past experience. It's the value of a relationship that you hold. You can't place that value on. On My relationships because it's not fair. It's not the same. It takes a little bit of trust. I understand that. And for me, I'm one of those people who from past experiences learned there are boundaries that should be set even with your friends. Keep in mind, I told the story of how in my previous marriage, I allowed a friendship to develop into something that it shouldn't have. Well, learning from that experience, I'm very careful about my relationships with my female friends. We don't talk every day. We don't spend hours on the phone. I don't talk to my female friends about problems in my marriage. I don't talk to them about deeply personal things. And there's boundaries that I've set there. But I'm not going to stop being friends with them. My wife was going to have to put some trust in me that even though I had made that mistake in the past and I was open and honest about it with her, that I knew what boundaries were going to be set and I would not allow anything to cross the line. At the time, she really had no reason to believe that I was going to be telling the truth about that, but it was a risk that she took, and I think it's fair to say, I hope that she's glad she took it, because I don't hold any relationship more valuable than the one that we have, but at the same time, I don't think, once again, this goes back to that ownership and that control, my wife knows that I love her and that I am her husband. But my wife does not hold me as something that she owns. I've given her my heart. I've given her the dedication and the promise of loving her forever. But she does not own me. I do not own her. I don't to have a say so in who she talks to, who she's friends with. I trust that the love that we've built is strong enough that she would do the same thing in her situation that I would do in mine. To recognize if anything happened that was inappropriate with someone of the opposite sex, be it a friend, be it a colleague, that we would cut that off immediately to protect the relationship that we have. Once again, most people who have been in toxic relationships and dealt with people who've lied and cheated, not set boundaries in their relationships with people of the opposite sex, that would be very difficult for them to do. Had I not been able to do that, had my wife not been able to do that, we would be missing out on a wonderful thing right now. So you got to risk it for the biscuit. Sometimes you got to find out if the juice is worth the squeeze. Sometimes you'll squeeze and you won't get no juice. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. But if you're going to finally get it and you're going to have to take some leaps of faith, and that's one of the things that I want my story to tell people is that I've been in a very, very bad and difficult relationship. And I had a choice. I could have allowed that to paralyze me from ever finding true happiness in a relationship with another person. Or I do what I did, and I did my very best to learn from my past mistakes, to learn from the experience of being in that relationship, the things that I did well, the things that I didn't do well, the things that I tolerated, and the things that I shouldn't have tolerated. So it's a risk. You got to take it. If you really want to find what you've been searching for, if that's what you're searching for, this doesn't apply to everybody. Some people, after they get out of a bad relationship, they want to stay single, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But to the people who have what I feel like is a natural desire to be with someone, uh, you're going to have to learn from your past experiences, but don't make the new people in your life pay for those past experiences. Don't bring that toxicity from the previous relationship with you. It's difficult, but you got to let it go. The things that I want to stand out in this story, learn from the mistakes you've made in past relationships, the importance of self-care and mental well-being, and the next, the importance of forgiveness. In this episode and in the previous episode, I've talked a lot about the toxicity of my relationship with my daughter's mother. And it was. Once you decide that you're going to be better apart than you were together, be better apart. It took some time, but I'm very proud to say that at this moment in time, my daughter's mother and I have a very healthy co-parenting relationship. My wife is involved in it. Uh, I think the three of us I don't want to toot our horns or anything, but I think we set a very fine example of three people who were in a very awkward and contentious situation that decided, you know what? The only thing that matters now is the person that all three of us love. And that's our daughter and her happiness and her well-being. And in order for us to put priority on that, we had to let go of all the other bullshit. I went through a lot of difficult things with my daughter's mother over a long period of time. At some point, we just had to let it go. I'm not angry at her. I have no resentment towards her. I wish her all the best. I'll tell you a story really quick. My daughter's mother is in a relationship with someone who was previously married. The person that he was previously married to had me subpoenaed in their divorce To basically try to be a character witness in the negative way, since I was subpoenaed, I had to go. I told you guys before, my daughter's mother went through some difficult things, made a few mistakes, and all of it was public record. So they put me on the stand and they basically expected me to get up there and trash my daughter's mother and I wouldn't do it. And at the time, I was really hurt by her and I was probably angry, maybe even a little bit bitter. But there was no way in the world I was going to get up there and bad talk, the mother of my child. And to this day, I never will. And I think it's fair to say now at this point in time, I don't think she would do that either. We've both grown. We've both decided to move on and just be good parents. When I was on the stand and this lawyer who was questioning me wasn't getting what he was looking for, he asked me the question, you still have feelings for so-and-so, don't you? And I said, no, I said, she's the mother of my child though. And I think if my daughter were sitting in that back of that courtroom and were to listen to me bad talking her mother, she'd be very disappointed in me. And that's the truth. All the things that my ex-wife and I went through have nothing to do with my daughter. And it's not my job to explain to my daughter all the negative things that happened between us. What I want my daughter to know is that she was conceived in love. There was a time that her mother and I loved one another immensely. And that's what brought her to this world was that love. And I understand that my daughter's well-being is heavily linked to the well-being of her mother. And so to see her mother flourishing and doing well and them growing their relationship brings me nothing but joy. Okay, I took no joy in the fact that her mother was struggling. I took zero joy in that. It was very difficult because I saw how it affected my daughter. So that's what I want to talk about right now is the importance of forgiveness when it comes to your ex. If you guys have children together, I'm not saying you guys got to be best friends. My daughter's mother and I are not best friends. We don't hang out on the weekends. We don't text each other, you know, other than to make arrangements for our daughter. But there's a mutual respect there, and I think that there is a level of admiration because that is the mother of my child and I am the father of her child. If anything else doesn't matter, that does. Once again, in browsing social media, some of the struggles I saw of single mothers and fathers were self-worth, mental well-being. Some of the other stuff I saw is having difficulty co-parenting. I'm not going to go into extreme detail, but I'm going to tell you, if my daughter's mother and I can go through what we went through and come out on the other end, the way things are going now, there is no one out there who can't make it happen. Like I said, you don't have to be best friends. You guys don't have to hold hands and sing kumbaya. Just do what's best for your child. If you decide you're better apart than you are together, then be better apart. These are not lessons that I'm trying to pass on because I feel like I'm above everyone, I know everything. Look at me, toot toot on my horn. I learned these things the hard way. I learned these things because I fucked up, because I made the wrong decisions. And if I can do if I can say one thing that helps one person who's listening to this, make their life just a little bit easier, make their transition from toxic relationship to loving themselves, to finally loving someone else, to co-parenting and having a functioning relationship, a functioning parenthood, then I feel like I've done what I set out to do when I decided to start this podcast. That's exactly what I wanted to do, is make a difference in somebody's life. Use my experience to make a difference for somebody. So the three takeaways I want everybody to get from this podcast. Number one, love yourself. It's impossible to love someone who does not love themselves. All these posts I'm seeing about, oh, I'm just content with the fact that I'll never be enough. First of all, what does that even mean? Never be enough for who? If you're not enough for yourself, you'll never be enough for someone else. And all you're going to do is attract people who like to prey on people who don't love themselves. It's okay to admit that you need help. This is whether it has anything to do with bad relationships, breakups, whatever. Self-care is so important for everyone. Some people are in wonderful relationships and are still depressed. It's okay to admit you need help. There's not a stigma on it. I spent a month in Harris County Psychiatric feeling like I was above everybody there. I left that place with so much respect for not only the people there, but the power of the mind. And how important it is to keep your mind healthy. Learn from past mistakes. Learning from past mistakes, not just of the people you were in a relationship with, but learn from your own mistakes. Even if you are in a relationship where you feel like you did everything the right way, you did something wrong. You either ignored a red flag, you trusted somebody that you knew you shouldn't trust, or maybe you didn't give enough trust to somebody because of bad experiences in the past take chances anything worth having is going to take a leap of faith and you might fall smack on your face it might happen it's not the end of the world it's not going to kill you you know we use the term diamond in the rough well the rough is a huge pool of shit i understand there are a bunch of disgusting all the people who are sliding in your dms sending penis pictures all the crazies, making unsightly comments. I get it. It's easy to believe that there's no good men. There's no good women out there. For guys, it's really frustrating when we see women complaining that there's no good men. We know we're that good guy, and we're just getting overlooked for whatever reason. Ladies, if you are out there saying that there's no good men, you need to take a look in the mirror and say, am I really looking for a good man? Most relationship problems, I feel, stem from a person's insecurity with themselves. That even goes for the douchebags. The people who treat you like shit, you may think that they're arrogant and selfish and all they care about is themselves, but in reality, they can't stand themselves. That's why they have to tear you down. That's why when you give them your all, your 100%, you give them everything that you have inside of you. The reason they can still step out and cheat on you is because something is missing in them. And for that one selfish moment, that attention that some other woman gave them made them feel a little bit better about themselves. Even though you gave them everything, that everything you gave them was not enough to make them love themselves. You love yourself. I promise you everything else is going to fall into place because you know what you deserve and you won't settle for anything less. And when you love yourself, you're okay being single for a little while. You understand that it's going to take patience. And you're cool with that. It doesn't bother you. When you're loving yourself, you're staying on your grind. When you're loving yourself, it don't matter what anybody else thinks about you. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what rumors your ex is spreading about you. All the shit you've done in the past that the haters want to throw in your face. None of that shit matters anymore. When you're loving yourself, everything else falls into place. And every time you do that, you're showing everybody else in the world why they should love you too. I learned that from experience. I learned that the hard way. It was impossible for anybody to love me when I was a broken shell of myself. And whether it's because of failed relationships or whether it's because of depression or sickness, you got to be the best version of you before anybody's going to be able to see all the things about you that they should love. So take care of yourself, first and foremost. Stop trying to fix people who are broken. You can't fix them. They have to fix them. It's so all the men women out there who just have lost hope that there's anybody good for them out there, trust me. Every woman that's thinking that, there's a man who's thinking that too. And they're looking for each other. You just have to be patient. You can't try to force every situation into a little box. Because you meet a guy and he's cute and he's got tattoos or because he's got pretty eyes. Or for the fellas, because her body is banging. She smells good. (laughs) She's a cutie with a booty, bro. You can't love her if she don't love her, period. It's going to take going through a couple. Shuffling the deck a little bit, I guess, before you find the right one. And like I said before, it takes a little bit of luck. I know I lucked into my situation, and I broke several rules that if I'd followed all the rules, I wouldn't be here where I am today with my best friend and my life partner, doing the best we can to to live our best lives. As I sat on that cruise ship with my wife, sitting on our balcony, staring out at the beautiful ocean, or when we got to the beach in Cozumel with the blue water, the light blue water and Progresso, we had this amazing vacation And there's several moments that have happened to me over the past several years where this happens. I almost forget that I didn't want to be alive. How crazy is that to think about now? Because I failed once. I felt like I did not want to live the rest of my life. I was 22 years old. I'll be 36 in May. And I love my life so much today. I can't imagine that there was a time that I didn't want to be here. And it makes me think of the poor souls who felt so desperate and alone that they took their own lives. Because I know that what they felt on the inside must have been absolute anguish and despair. And it just, it breaks my heart to think about if they could have just held on a little bit longer. Maybe they would have found their way out. Maybe they'd still be here today. Looking back and saying, I can't believe I didn't want to be here. So it's important. Don't allow any stigmas or any prejudices about needing help, about depression or anything about mental health. Don't allow it to stop you. If you're out there and you need help, you're not feeling 100, that's okay. Nobody feels bad when they go to the doctor to set a bone that's broken. You have to do it. You're broken. Go fix yourself. I guess as helter-skelter as this episode has been, it's been all over the place. Let me just try to put everything into a nice little box here and gift wrap it. When I started thinking about this episode and what I wanted people to know from my story, it's that my story has a lesson for people struggling in their current relationship People struggling to let go of the baggage and toxicity of their past relationship. And for people who are struggling with their mental health and feelings of self-worth. As I've tried to interact with all of you on social media, I've seen all of you. And I want you to know that I hear you. I see you. And I hope some part of my experience is going to help you in any way. Even if it's just, you know what, there's a guy who understands. I don't know if the solutions that worked for him are going to work for me, but there's a guy who understands where I'm coming from. Guys, love yourself, take care of yourself. That's the internet challenge that I feel like is worth doing. I see a lot of internet challenges, but if you do anything today, I want you to hashtag love yourself. Everything else will fall into place. I promise you that all right guys christopher clark will be back next week for episode 12 you've been listening to smells like middle-aged spirit podcast presents off script with yours truly nick stevenson thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time good night you've been listening to the smells like middle-aged spirit podcast with Nick and Chris. For more show content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.